today's guest, Eric Jörmstedt, Vice President Product Management at Experian Automotive. I mean, most consumers view EVs as tech, as, as you're, not buy, you're buying a phone that you drive, basically, right? You're not buying a vehicle anymore. But the reality is, when is a tech company going to come along and completely change it? Who's going to come out with this vehicle that gets you the same value that you're driving at a fraction of the cost or with technology that works better? The other thing that could, that could boost things more quickly is and what it, I think the only thing right now that it could be is is really the government and what are they going to do to almost force it Tech Talk the automotive aftermarket podcast Hi and welcome to the next episode of our Tech Talk aftermarket podcast today we're getting nerdy again talking about data Eric is a real expert of the matter and Experian is a massive company dealing with all sorts of data. We discuss their automotive or specifically their aftermarket business. We talk about VIO data because that's the field where we have a strong partnership with Experian. The differences of all the markets they serve. We talk about hiring and how to get the right people for all those data-related jobs in the industry. The exponential increase of data through topics like e-commerce or in-vehicle data. We make some predictions on the effect of big tech stepping into the automotive industry and try to outline how data can support sustainability in the future. So, as you heard, we've covered a lot of ground there today. Many insights on the data topic, fantastic and highly knowledgeable guests. So without further ado, let's jump right into the podcast. Hi and welcome to our Tech Talk Aftermarket podcast here live from Apex in Las Vegas. We have our next guest, Eric. Hi, Eric. Thanks for taking the time to joining us here. You bet. Glad to be here. And could you give us or our audience a little introduction about yourself, so who, who you are, what you are doing, and what Experian is doing as a company? Sure. So, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I work for Experian Automotive, uh, based here uh, in the U.S. Uh, I've been with the company for going on 16 years. So, started kind of uh, data analytics is my background primarily. Um, working now uh, with a with a focus mostly in the product part of the organization, heading up uh, one of our, our analytics teams in the Experian Automotive uh, business specifically, as well as oversee uh, different product product categories, including marketing, as well as uh, statistics, which is the the VIO products that that you're aware of, and and statistics. Um, new vehicle registrations, customer loyalty, things like that. And so you're really a numbers guy. I am 100% a numbers guy. That is, that is my background uh, through and through. Nice. And uh, Experian, how did it start for them? Have they been active in the automotive sector from the beginning? Because as I understood, you also have a lot of uh, services for insurance companies and, and, and credit scoring mm -hmm. services. So how did it involve? Yeah, the, the automotive business has been around certainly longer than I have, I believe going back to the late 90s. Um, Experian globally is, is a massive company. I mean, we've got 18,000 employees worldwide, do oh, wow. between five and a half and six billion in revenue uh, every year. We're in 44 countries, uh, the largest being the UK, Brazil, and then obviously the US here is our largest market. Um, But, but really, I mean, Experian is, you know, here in North America and the U.S. specifically, uh, 
people think of us as a credit bureau, a credit agency, one of the three big bureaus mm -hmm. here in the United States. We're, we're so much more than that uh, globally. And even here in the U.S., I mean, our, our sort of our, our core, our mission as a company is to really just try and create a better tomorrow with data and, and technology and solutions. Uh, so that goes from, you know, helping consumers to uh, boost their credit scores, uh, do everything from a financial inclusion perspective, uh, and then just helping, you know, B2B side uh, really minimize risk. Um, and that goes across, you know, credit, automotive, uh, we're, we're heavily uh, engaged in the healthcare industry as well, and then fraud and identity and, and prevention there as well. So, and that and those services and, and offerings kind of go globally as well. So, a lot of that relates to what we're doing here in the U.S., but also globally, we've got a lot of offerings that are very similar to that. Yes, very broad field you're operating in, and in your in your automotive pillar. So you don't only serve the aftermarket, but also car manufacturers. Yeah, so the way, the way that we're kind of set up and the way that we're organized in the automotive business is sort of, you think of it kind of as a matrix. So we've got four kind of key product areas uh, that, that we have. One being marketing, which we'll get into a little bit later, I think. Yeah. Uh, statistics that, that I kind of mentioned, uh, which is, you know, new vehicle registrations, customer loyalty, vehicles in operation. The third product area is is kind of the lending side, which gets into the credit reporting, uh, you know, profile reports. Anytime someone goes and tries to buy a vehicle or needs financing, they check their credit score. We're in the background of that. Uh, and then finally, vehicle history, which gets into um, you know everything that's happening down to a VIN level specifically for that car. So you take those kind of four core product areas, and and then what we do is we layer those across the entire automotive ecosystem. So we work with not only the aftermarket that we're here to talk about, but also the OEMs, the, the manufacturers themselves, uh, the lenders, uh, the auctions, dealers throughout the entire ecosystem. So those products really go kind of across uh, the entire automotive uh, ecosystem. Yes, and especially for the for for the aftermarket or the manufacturers, VIO data is very important, and this is also where we are partnering. So experience and uh, yeah. experience and tech alliance. So what what would you say makes good VIO data? Because I guess this is like a product which is which is sometimes a bit overlooked, you know, because it's not it's it's not a sexy product it's it's like it's statistics of vehicles driving right. around you know i always you know it's funny i always give the analogy to people that it's you don't you don't really ever hear good job a janitor doesn't ever really hear good job yeah they just hear when you know the bathroom's not clean anymore the kitchen's a mess or those types yeah. of things that's kind of the way uh, the, the VIO data is kind of looked at, but there's so much that goes into it that has to be done right. Uh, otherwise, you start getting all the questions, you have all the problems that, that come along with it. So it's, you know, for us at Experian, you know, we have access to so many different data assets. And that's what makes our offering so powerful because it's not just where are the vehicles located, but getting them into those locations is critically important. Uh, and, and the data that we have that really drives that uh, goes across not only automotive, but you think about the different data sources we have, things like credit information, things like dealer data, vehicle history information, all these things that allow us to make sure that we're putting the right vehicles into the right households so that when, you know, a dealer or, uh, you know, a parts manufacturer or even an OEM is counting how many vehicles are in this area, 
we've got them garaged and placed into the right spot. And there's a lot of data nuance that goes into that, especially as you think about our data sources coming from uh, the states. Uh, there's no. you know 50 states here, plus we get Puerto Rico, some Canadian data partnering with, with Tech Alliance on no. some of the, the Mexico data. And it's, it's not just coming in from one place, it's coming in from all these places. It's different what you get from the state of Kansas versus the state of Virginia. And those nuances are uh, tricky, to say the least. And what makes biodata? What makes good biodata? Because I, I know how, how how the data is getting sourced because we we are also doing it with our team in in the Netherlands. But there's no single source of truth because, as you said, there's so many different different sources you need to, you need to take into account when calculating the VIO data. So, what makes a good biodata? Well, I mean, there's there's two things. It's it's and this is one of the things I always talk with with my analytics teams about is its accuracy and coverage. Um, if you have great accuracy but low coverage, uh, you know you're great in a small area. Vice versa, let's say you have everything but you're only right 50% of the time, that's not helpful either. So those two things, it really becomes the intersection of those. So it's how much coverage can you get with the highest level of accuracy. Uh, and so for us at Experian, I mean, we're ingesting data daily. We're running it through cleansing, through hygiene, all of yeah. those things to make sure uh, that it's as accurate as possible. The beauty of, of the data specifically in, in the United States is, you know, and our, our having been in this business for as long as we have, we have access to virtually everything. I'm, I, I won't say 100% because, no. I mean, you know, of course it's 99.9 or, or whatever it yeah. ends up being, but, uh, you know, because of our data sources, our coverage is, is really high. Uh, the challenge becomes, you know, what if there's inaccurate data from a certain source or there's timeliness issues with it? We supplement and do things with different data sources to make it uh, as accurate as possible. Yes, and uh, your data team or the team who's working in the automotive sector, is it because you, you, you are serving all these this different, this different industries, is it that you bring the teams also together and maybe you, 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 you invented something for a product in the, in the insurance sector, but you could use this stuff also for other industries? Yeah, so, I mean, that's, that's an interesting uh, point. Uh, you know, we've, we've done things taking the VIO data as an example. This is a, this is a, a good example. We've worked with our, our healthcare business. Mm -hmm. This is sort of a, a tangent here, but, you know, we've worked with them in the past. They're trying to help, um, you know, hospitals, insurance providers, and, and they're building products to help make sure that consumers have access to healthcare. Yeah. Part of that access is how do you go get your prescription medications? How do you get to your doctor's appointments? No. Do you have a vehicle? Is a natural extension of that. So we take some of this data, you know, to your point, and, you know, it's, it's great for understanding what's happening, you know, specifically with parts and where they're located and, and, and how do you, you know, the logistics around all of those things. But what's great is now we're starting to find other uses for that data, one of them being in the healthcare sector that uh, truly does help consumers make sure they have access to health. Yes, healthcare. definitely. And uh, in your opinion, uh, how differs the, the North American market from Europe or maybe when you go down south from Mexico, as you mentioned? Yeah, it's really interesting as we, as we talk about, you know, our business and where we need to be, where are we going? 
you know, the data differences uh, in terms of what's available in the U.S. versus Canada versus Puerto Rico, Mexico. Then you throw Europe into the mix. We've done we've done some things in the U.K. off and on, and really the differences are uh, data availability, permissibility, and and what what attributes kind of come along with that. So there's certain areas where it's a lot easier to get at uh, where that vehicle is is garaged today. So the specific consumer information tied to that record. Uh, in certain cases and in certain places, even within the US, uh, it's not as simple as a one size fits all. There's certain states where you can use data for uh, you know different purposes. So taking a a plate and converting that uh, license plate into a full VIN no. is not something that you can do in every state in the U.S. There's a ton of different regulations like that. When you when you then take that and flip it even uh, a level higher and say, what does it look like in in Canada, for example? Completely different. What does it look like in Europe? Completely different. So no. as we have our conversations kind of globally, it really becomes a question of making sure we understand what data we have access to, sort of in the U.S. versus what's available there, the permissible uses of it, and and the compliance and the the legalities around it really yes, becomes. Yes, legislation is different. Oh yeah, the legislation is. Is huge. That that is that one of the first things that always comes up. It's yeah, we have the data, but no, we can't use it for that purpose. No. And uh, for for all this uh, analyzing of your data, uh, so the, the big topics in, in in the data industry and in general are now automation. Do you use any 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 smart algorithms or machine learning techniques? Yeah, uh, all over the place, actually. Specifically in, in the marketing space, um, you know, one of my groups is is doing a fantastic job building in AI machine learning into our algorithms to keep getting better, to keep getting smarter. Especially you talk about telematics data and how nasty and just hard to decipher the way it comes in. No. Uh, you know, we keep getting smarter, you know, across the industry. Though That area specifically, Uh, is is an area where we got to keep keep pushing forward because that data is kind of a mess. Um, a couple of the other places where where we use some machine learning uh, is you talk about dealer information and lender information specifically around how that information is reported to us. So you think about the name of a dealer being you know John Smith Ford. Yep. Maybe next time it comes in, it just says Smith Ford. The next time it's John Ford, yep. all at the same address. How do you standardize all of that? So we've got you know machine learning that we're starting to build into things like that to make sure that the accuracy of our reporting is is as good as it can be. And you mentioned it before, and when I was doing doing my research. I saw that you're always also offering a lot of marketing-related services. So, and I understood it that it's kind of a ROI calculation for marketing campaigns, but also like proper or to 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 have like a more correct user targeting. How does that work? Oh, Mar we have so many things we're doing in the marketing Because space. Because you know me as like as like a marketing uh -huh. executive, there's always the answer. Yeah. But what what's what's my return for all the, for all that money? Yeah, you know the measurement, the ROI specifically yeah. on marketing, is a tricky one, and everyone tries to answer that question in a way that paints the best picture for yes. whatever their their goal is, right? So, is it the advertiser? Is it the platform? Are you working with an agency? Everyone has a bias. Yeah, they want it to paint the right picture 
for what they're trying to accomplish. So in, an, in the case of a, an advertising agency, they want their advertising to work. So when it doesn't work, they blame the data and you know so on and so forth. Yeah. So you get this push and pull that happens kind of across the board. The beauty of what we do is we try and re remain as neutral as possible in that process. So that's, that's part of kind of our mantra as a business is you know, integrity and, and transparency in our data, how we come up with what we're doing. You know, obviously there's, you, we talked a little bit about machine learning. Some of those things were, were, we're gonna say, keep that a little closer to the vest just because, you know, we're not gonna tell you how we, we make the sauce. Yeah. But as it relates to the ROI component, uh, there's a couple different ways that we look at this. You know, one is, when it's when you're dealing with with clients and partners that are trying to sell vehicles we have solutions that say here is exactly what's sold in in the entire marketplace based on who and the the consumers you were talking to that one's pretty straightforward you you sent out you know you know 10,000 mail pieces or 10,000 emails or served up, you know, 2 million impressions online. Here's how many vehicle sales were attributed back to those. We don't try and make any claims about it was the the first impression, the last impression, yeah. specifically what drove that. We just say, look, here is what we know to have happened. Interpret that as you see fit. It gets trickier as you talk about parts uh, service and all of those things because it's not as simple as we have, you know, virtually every sale that happens in the United States. We yeah. don't have that on the service side. The service market is so fragmented. You've got, you know, franchise dealers, independent repair shops, yeah. DIYers. So how do you measure the effectiveness there? And that's where you can start to get creative with the data. So you take in the VIO data in conjunction with the consumer's that you were in contact with, and then you match in some of the service data for whoever the, the partner is you're working with and yep. say, what's our penetration there? How well did it actually work? So that's there's ways to get there. It's not as straightforward as it is on the sales side. So on the sales side, we then start adding in what did you spend on the data? How much did the, you know, how much, how many impressions did you serve? What was the cost? It's easier to measure there. The service side, it's just not quite as easy because the measurement piece, the actual action is a little bit trickier to know. Yes, definitely. And I can imagine that this service is in, in quite high demand or is then there all, all, always uh, like an internal fight at your customers with a uh, marketing against, I don't know, other department? You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, there's certain clients we work with who have, it's it's very centralized, they're all on the same page. Others, it's very interesting because we're having to sell them solutions yeah. so that they can prove to the rest of their business that they know what they're doing. Yeah, That that to me is always, I always just chuckle a little bit where I'm going, hey, we're, we're selling insights to, to a company so that they can sell themselves internally. Yeah. It's a weird dynamic, it's, it's strange. And to do all your offerings, I guess you need very highly qualified people. And I had, uh, I talked, uh, with Anna from Scheffler about it as well. As we all know, I mean, even in Europe, it's very, very difficult to get like IT people, be it developers. And I guess analytics people is, are even more scarce. So how do you handle it in the US where you also have to compete with all these big tech platforms? You know, it's interesting. That's, it's such a good question, Christian. The, The 
you know, having, I've, you know, again, my background is data and analytics. Yep. So I've been doing this for a, a long time. And you would think that it'd be, as, as time has gone on and, and the way the industry has moved and just with technology and software, that it would be easier to find these kinds of people now. And it's, it's still a little challenging depending on, you know, what the skill set is we're looking for. Um, we've had, we've had a lot of really great success working with local universities, getting partnerships there, talking with, um, you know, IT, uh, groups at universities, yep. as well as we've had good success internally because we have so many BI tools, identifying people within our own business that have a keen eye for data, for analytics. Uh, I've got a, a resource on, on my analytics team who came from actually the account management, the, the sales side. Um, he worked kind of uh, on the side in, in terms of getting uh, that background in data and analytics. and his skill set is fantastic because he doesn't just bring the book knowledge, the data, but he also brings the client side to it. Yeah. So finding things like that have been very helpful and we've, we've had some success there. Definitely. And you, you also mentioned the, the sales data now through the, the, the rise of the e-commerce and all these e-commerce players for you, this is like, like the, 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 the the new wild west because there's so many data coming because when you when you sell something online in e-commerce shop or wherever it it is recorded mm -hmm. so there's a flood of new data coming in for you yeah and it's the challenge for us has always been how do we get it's the, it's the two things it's the volume of data and the accuracy of it no. so i mean you look around here at apex and there are so many different companies here with so much data That's, that's my, my reason for being here is meeting yep. with these companies and figuring out how can we partner together to both get you know, the most value out of our data uh, resources. And it's tricky. Um, had a conversation a little while ago with someone who was, was excited about all the data they had. They had something like 10,000 records. And I'm sitting here going, yeah. that's really great for your business. For us, We got we to scale, we got to go get more. So it's very fragmented, especially yeah. as it relates to the parts industry and the aftermarket mm -hmm. in that side of, of the world. But obviously COVID changed everything uh, on the dealer side and, and everywhere in terms of how people do business online, um, how you market to consumers differently. And that space is, is changing and, and dynamic every day. And how do you think the, the overall sentiment in the US towards e-commerce or especially towards the big players like eBay, Amazon getting into the parts business or maybe also Walmart because there's a big Walmart booth here as well. So they're also trying to, to cut out their share of the aftermarket money. They are. And it's, it's very interesting. So our business, again, I'm, I'm in our automotive business. We've yep. got, you know, experience, got, I don't know the number in, in North America, we'd have to count, but call it nine or 10 different businesses that exist in the, in the US, one of those being marketing services. So we've had longstanding relationships with, you mentioned Walmart, Amazon, and eBay yep. uh, outside of the auto industry. Now what we're seeing yes, for, is- For you, it's brilliant. You know, who would have thought like 10 years yeah. ago that you can sell bio data to Amazon? Correct. So now all of a sudden we've got through our other business units here in the U.S. them approaching us and saying, look, we're working with Amazon. They're getting into the auto space. What can we do to help solve that problem for them? So for us, you know, we've been, you know, well positioned there. Uh, 
for the rest it's of the, the industry. For you, it's the more the merrier. Yeah, for us, for us, it really is. Again, because we are, we're trying to provide that that transparent ease of data access to the industry. All of a sudden, you've got someone like Amazon there who's you know doing different things. For us, it's it's more of the same almost. Yes, and you uh, mentioned the telematics data, the in-vehicle data before. So what's the current state on telematics data in the US? Because for us, or for me, coming coming from Europe, and I was uh, involved in our company, Caruso, who's dealing with the in-vehicle data there, I can imagine it's different in the US, or at least I know, because in Europe we have like an Caruso set up as an open marketplace and we get access to like I guess now it's 14 different brands or 15 different brands harmonized in vehicle data that must be nice yes so how <laughs> how is it how is it over here because for it's you not like that this is really it's really valuable data because it, 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 it affects so many of your businesses for insurance companies very interesting you have a lot of use cases for that in Europe everything and and it's It's more challenging to get access to here. I mean, very, very frankly, uh, it's a, it's like a lot of these other things. It's kind of fragmented in terms of who you're working with, what they're willing to work with you on, and and really, our goal is to form strategic partnerships on this. The more data, specifically on the vehicle history side, the more information we can get to a consumer about the history of that vehicle. Telematics data plays a huge role in that. Yeah. And so, from that perspective. We want to, to get access to as much of it as possible to make the buying as transparent for the consumer as, as possible. Um, the other use cases, you can see it plugging into our products, our offerings go across the board from VIO data to uh, you know loyalty and how does, yeah. how does what's happening to a vehicle impact a consumer's propensity to buy that vehicle again, that same brand from that same dealer all of those measurement type uh, related exercises that telematics data can feed into all of that the 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 interesting part about the telematics world i i just i think back to conferences you know 8 10 12 years ago uh, talking about getting access to telematics data and i think generally speaking at the time and this has changed a little bit but All of the, the providers were trying to figure out how to monetize that data. I don't know that they've figured it out yet. I think that's, I, that's the thing. We, we were also fighting uh, in Europe because everyone always wanted access to all the data immediately. Sure. But you can have all the data if you don't have like a proper use case or a service you can build for your customer. Yeah. And, and the, the really interesting one is I forget who it was we talked to. This was years and years ago. But it was, they were trying to sell the technology, not the data. Mm -hmm. So their, their barrier to, to entry and to, to growing their market share in terms of what they had around telematics data was they were trying to monetize technology, not data. And my, my feedback to them was get your technology into as many cars as possible. Yeah. Forget that. Produce that. Get it as cheap as possible. So was it a dongle solution or yeah, plugin? Yeah, it was a plugin. It was a okay. plugin deal, and it's like, give your plugin thing away. Yeah, get it into the. Oh vehicle. yeah, but but you're right. Like 10 years ago, it it was yeah. like many companies uh, produced this uh, these little dongles in China yeah. and trying to sell them for like 100, 100 euro 100 dollars no, to their customers nobody's gonna buy it <laughs> give it away <laughs> give it away you'll go sell the it's data five your, yeah, six seven not, eight times it's not your business you don't yeah. want to be a dongle seller no you want to be a data company yeah, yeah. And, and 
And it's interesting because they're, they're tech people running those companies, but you go, give away your technology, get it out there, get your reach, and then go sell the data six, seven times. Yeah. It, yeah. No, interesting. definitely. And another topic uh, which is around in the market or is, is highly discussed is, of course, the electrification of the car park, the ongoing electrification. How does it affect affect your business? Because I think especially for, for Viodata, it's clear, like manufacturers, they want to know how many electric cars are out there. When When's the tipping point that we have 50% uh, uh, electrification in the car park? Going to be a while here yeah. uh, in, in the U.S., certainly. I mean... And we are we are spending a lot of energy, effort, and resources on on electrification on EVs right now. Just launched a new product uh, called E Insights, uh, specific to the, the electric you know industry, um, providing insights to kind of across the board for us. So it's OEMs, it's aftermarket, it's dealers, lenders, everyone to basically say, here is what's happening as it relates to EVs. We're consistently pumping more data into that product. Um, The the interesting part, I mean, here in the U.S., you know, there's 285 or so million vehicles on the road. Yeah. That's the number here. The electric vehicles, I mean, for as much as you hear about it, they don't even represent 1% of that yet. Yeah. It's, it's somewhere around, you know, half a percent, maybe a little bit more than that. And so you talk about how long until that really takes off and gets going. And you know the in, our infrastructure here, relative to what you all have in in Europe, is is nothing. I mean, we are we're behind as it relates to infrastructure. Uh, I don't believe we've been very intelligent about it. That sounds wrong, but I, I mean, we've not put the intelligence into the infrastructure mm. here the way that you all have, kind of in Europe. So, you know, as an example, I, I, I don't like anecdotal things, especially as a data guy, but we were, we took a trip, uh, my family and I, we, I'm in Lincoln, Nebraska, so smack in the middle of the country. Uh, we took a trip up to northern Wisconsin this last summer, and I remember driving through the middle of Iowa. You know, you're in the middle of farmland. No you're in the, kind of in the middle of nowhere, and we pulled off to get gas, and here's this gas station with, I don't know how many plug-in stations at this gas station. I mean, there were, there were like 10 or 20 of them. And I'm just sitting here going, we have data that could have helped you guys yes. a little bit better than, and, and I don't know where the funding came from or why someone decided yeah. to put all these here, but I'm going, this is just not right. And so it's, it's things like that. I think there's still a, a general fear in the U.S. of how far can I go? What, what can I actually do with this vehicle relative to, I know I can go get gas every five miles, you know, at, at yeah. worst. Uh, no, and I think this is, is this, this issue or, or topic is more valid in the US where the ways are longer, but we have the same issue in Europe as well. If you ask the people, really, uh, how do you, uh, are you satisfied with 500 kilometers of range? No, that's not enough. And then, but you know, when you keep asking them, how often do you drive even more than 20 kilometers? And then it's like twice a year when they go on holiday or something. Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange conversation. It's, it's the exact same thing here. But here, I think the even bigger problem is you know, lack of infrastructure, or at least yeah. the perceived lack of infrastructure. We've, we've gone through the exercises. We've got them in our tools to say, if you want to drive across the entire country from California to New York, here's how you get it done. Yeah. So it's, it's possible. Um, 
But I, I and what what I'm curious to see is where things go in the future as it relates to the technology and the vehicles, specifically around the batteries. And who are the new players there that are going to come into the market? I've been saying this. I'm so far. I'm wrong. When do we see the Apple car? That's exactly what I was going to say. Is when is a tech company going to buy someone that exists, completely transform it, and turn it into? I mean, most consumers view EVs as tech. As as you're not buying, you're buying a phone that you drive, basically, right? You're not buying a vehicle anymore. Don't 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 say that to your car manufacturer customers. No, but that they will be device makers in the future. But but the reality is. When is a tech company going to come along and completely change it? And I think I think there's two things that could drastically shift what happens here in the U.S. One of them is that you you hit the nail on the head. I think is really when does Apple, Amazon, you mentioned eBay earlier. Maybe it's eBay. Who's yeah. going to come out with this vehicle that gets you the same value that you're driving? At a fraction of the cost, or with technology that works better, I think that's number one. I think number two, the other thing that could that could boost things more quickly is, and what it, I think the only thing right now that it could be is is really the government, and what are they going to do to almost force it? And what yeah, like like they did in Europe. Right? Yeah. So we've I've I've looked pretty closely at what they did. I think it was in Sweden. Where and it wasn't incentivizing the purchase of an EV. It was basically penalizing yeah. uh, if you, if you bought an ICE vehicle. And you look at the we we looked specifically. I think it was like a Nissan Leaf or no, it was a Volkswagen. It was a VW, I believe. Mm -hmm. And it was cost to purchase. They had basically put so much into the uh, the cost of purchasing a. Uh, a non-EV that you were you were incentivized to buy the electric vehicle, but you weren't here. What we've done so far is we've we've added incentives on top of the electric vehicle purchase. Yeah, that's only going to get you so far. What they kind of did the other way was they decentivized. You know, they made it less advantageous to buy the other, and I think that probably had a lot to do with it. You would you would know more about that probably than I would based on the, the yeah. few things that I've read. No, but definitely, and I agree. It will be interesting when the first of the big tech players is is making making their move because currently it it seems like an, an Apple is also not uh, not denying that they're working on a car. So I guess it's a pretty sure bet that they're working on something. As we see with Google, they are more or like like going the the way they do with their with their smartphone approach. So they're working on an on an operating system. Sure. system. They have this Waymo cars. And maybe they, they they follow the same approach, then they will have Waymo as like a more or less open source platform, and you can put it in any device, like in any car. And maybe Apple will have like two or three models, which are more in a in the upper luxury segment or whatever. Yeah, and I you know the the interesting one, I think that I think another thing that could help this really take off is the battery. As yes. soon as as soon as the battery becomes manageable, and I mean manageable and literally in terms of physical size and weight. If if all of a sudden I can unplug a battery, plug in one that's already charged, my fear of not being able to yeah. drive is gone. I don't know how far away we've. I've read a few articles on this recently. It seems like everyone kind of knows what it needs to be, but actually getting it done is going to be. It's going to take some time. True, but uh, but I think then there could be some uh, customers could uh, could be a bit. Uh 
resistant to this because you know you buy your car and your car comes with your battery. Yeah. So you don't go to a, to a gas station and they change your I battery. Know. You know your 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 beautiful great working battery and then you get another one maybe you know maybe it's faulty maybe how was the guy driving with the battery who had it before that's true that's true we uh i read something else recently that talked about maybe you buy the car but you lease the battery yeah you know some things things like that i don't know but it's but this is also like a topic which which uh, would be uh, quite handy for you and your business because that's also something we 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 see Like the, the ownership is declining. So we see more fleet cars, so bigger fleets, so car sharing and stuff, which is also very good for your data business, I guess. You know, we, we try and remain, you know, open across the board yeah. to all of those things, making sure we're, uh, we're able to serve our customers kind of, you know, across the entire ecosystem. Again, putting a lot of effort and energy into the electric space right now, but also, fleet data, all of that information, uh, we, we make sure we partner with those guys as well to make sure that we, we know what's going on. And also a topic which always comes along when you talk about electrification is sustainability. Sure. So how can data support the aftermarket being more sustainable in the future? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I mean, the electrification is, is the start of it. Um, I, think, I think it really has to go beyond just emissions and uh, electric vehicles. It goes in, and this, this, this is sort of the, the Experian approach to sustainability. It's not just environmental, it's social, it's responsibility. It's trying to, again, trying for, for us, it's trying to use data to create a, a better future, a better world. And that goes not just with helping consumers understand what's happening with cars, helping them make better informed decisions, helping them keep their vehicles safe. You yeah. know, you've got safety recalls on vehicles, things like that, helping consumers to understand that's, that's happening as it relates to, sorry, I'm kind of all over the board with my answer here, but this is, it's an, it's an important topic yes. for Experian. We, we put a ton of emphasis on this, uh, credit helping consumers get access to credit so that they can go buy their first house so that they can, you know, finance a vehicle. Yeah. Very important to us. I don't know, I don't know how much you see our commercials over there in, in Europe, but with the, the John Cena purple cow, you know, boost your credit score now with Experian, it's, it's important to us. And, and to us, that is a part of sustainability. Um, in fact, our, our North America, Uh, president today, her name is Jennifer Schultz. She just came out and and said, "Look, we're going to take a day in in the next couple weeks here." And our, our company's always been very big into uh, volunteer work, mm. you know, taking time away to serve your local communities. Uh, you know, we put we put money and resources into wherever our employees are at, whatever they're doing to help local communities. Uh, putting more emphasis on that in the coming weeks ahead. So. For us at Experience Sustainability is it's environment, it's people, it's social, it's it's it goes across the board. And I think in order for us to continue to take the world in in good directions in the future, for for me and and for us at Experian, it really has to be more than just a vehicle and and more than just pollution. It it has to be bigger than that. So that's yeah, kind of I, our I really like that you brought up this local aspect because that's something which is which is not talked about much when talking about sustainability and there's so much you can do on a local level. It's 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 
engaging, and this is me personally now, but it's engaging yourself locally with things that matter to you and, and using your time, your resources for good. And those are the things that start to spread. And, you know, we can, we can give money to national organizations and do all those things. They're not bad, but in order to have, you know, that connectivity, you know, to your local community and just the, the positive impact you can have there, uh, you know, money's not going to solve that problem. And yeah, that's, sure. and that's, it's, it's a ground up kind of grassroots mentality. Great. So now that we're coming to the end of our little session, we always look a bit ahead in the future. So if we would met at Apex 2030 again, <laughs> what would be the topics? Will we have like the first experience John Cena Super Bowl commercial <laughs> and you measure the ROI with your tools? I don't think John Cena will have aged even a year by the, the year 2030. <laughs> uh, you know, 2030, I, I think... Um, you're going to see from from Experian. Uh, I hope I hope that we continue to push from our perspective. You mentioned sustainability, uh, continuing to help our data be used for the right reasons in the market. I, I hope that we can continue uh, to to be a force for good. Um, I I would hope to see uh, a a relatively decent difference in terms of just looking statistically at the number of vehicles in operation that are now hybrid and electric vehicles. Yeah. Um, and and quite frankly, I think our data solutions by then should really match up with what's happening in the marketplace. If we've done our jobs effectively, we're gonna move with the market there. Uh, and we're gonna try and stay at the at the leading edge, not only with, with data, but with software and technology to go along with it. Definitely. So there's a lot of opportunities for experience in the, for Experian in the future. Thank you very much for your time, Eric. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for thanks for having me. And I hope we meet earlier than 2030. I hope so too. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's a wrap. I think we got a great understanding on what Eric and Experian are doing. All the possibilities data offers already today for different use cases in the market and also where things might go next. If you enjoyed this episode as well, feel free to subscribe and give us a positive rating in your podcast app. So long, take care and bye-bye.